enjoy what God was doing last week as we're preaching the Word of God? <clears throat> uh, I just really, we um, sense we had a great sermon series as we started the year on margin. Anyone have a little bit more margin in your life? Making margin for what matters the most, right? <clears throat> uh, so I've heard a lot of great testimonies and stories for what God is doing in your life there. And this last week, we started the sermon series more. Basically, we want more of God. It's a Alluded to before, James 4, 8 says this, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Now, of course, God is everywhere all the time, right? But the fact is that the God of the universe who made the heavens and earth can be moved by us. I mean, you can, we can move God. We can move God's heart. We can move God into closer proximity with us. And how is that? It's us drawing near to him. As I said last week in the sermon, because the veil has been torn, our sin has been atoned for, there's nothing that separates from God. Because of that, us having more of God is no longer up to God. It's up to us. We can have as much of God as we want. He's not holding back. John 3 says he gives a spirit without limit. And so we can have as much of God as we want. We talked about that scripture last week as well. Of Moses beholding God face to face. In the Second Corinthians 3, we behold him face to face. It's an amazing thing. So we've been sensing, just as we've been praying, and we're praying in the content, preaching content this year, that God was just inviting our church into more of him. And I want to say, that's not a light thing. That's an awesome thing. God is inviting us in to know more. We believe that is, that is something that God is doing corporately in our church. And that's why we wanted to kind of do this sermon series to actually lead all of us and all of you into more of God. So I believe this sermon series is going to stir a hunger for more of God in us. I've heard testimonies already of people actually experiencing God's presence in powerful, intangible ways that have been life-impacting. Obviously, we had a great time worshiping God. We didn't plan on going longer, but just yeah, God was moving. We just, we just stayed in worship last week. It was a blast. So uh, looking forward as we go, as we go into this series and if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at Exodus chapter 3 this week. Exodus chapter 3 this week. We've got some people walking down the aisles with, with Bibles. As you turn in there, um, I was, was recalling growing up as I was preparing this sermon. You know, uh, I did a lot of things when I was younger that were a little dumb because I was trying to, taste, uh, trying to chase a little, little bit of the glory. You know what I mean? Anyone do some dumb things when you were younger? You're like, you look back and you're like, wow, what was I thinking? I was consistently trying to do things that were awesome, right? I was like, every day is going to be my best day, and I'm going to be awesome, and I'm going to live a life that's awesome, and I'm going to do things that are pushing the edge because I'm awesome, right? So, uh, you know, sometimes that included, you know, uh, thinking we were awesome doing pranks like sitting in the bushes and just like throwing tennis balls. We got like hundreds of tennis balls. We sit in the bushes and throw them at people and then the police would come and be like, oh, let's throw them at the police and we'd run there. Or we'd like, let's put shopping carts in trees at night and it would be like awesome, which if you were here a year ago, I shared that testimony. It did not end well. It ended with like 10 police cars and the whole thing, but maybe another time I'll tell that story a little longer. 
doing things I thought, oh, this is awesome, right? Pushing the edge. Or, or I thought like, man, when I grow up, I'm going to really focus because I'm going to be like the top pro athlete. Now, maybe some of y'all here, that's you. So bless you. We're behind you. For me, it's probably, you know, it's a long shot. Just say that. But I was like, man, if, if I'm this, or I'm, and I'd read, you know, sports articles, I'd read even like just look at the Hollywood stuff and be like, man, if I can make it there, then I will have reached the pinnacle. If people know my name in their household, I will have then reached the pinnacle. Now, you may not have been into yourself as much as I was into myself, but we all have different ways that uh, we've, we've tried to, to seek out glory, right? Now, again, we all have different expressions in our personalities, and so I'm kind of like, I've got to be the best at everything, right? And, of course, it didn't always end well, and praise God, he changed my life. But listen, I believe there's something in that that's right. You see, I believe we were made to experience glory. I believe we were made to experience glory. Maybe it's not through putting shopping carts in trees or throwing tennis balls at uh, people or even law officers. Or maybe not even by trying to be the coolest person that everyone knows your name. But we were made to experience glory. You know, we're made in the image of the living God. And I believe God not only made us a glorious creation, but ultimately he is the God of glory. He is glorious and he's made us to experience him. He's made us to hunger and thirst to experience his power and to experience his goodness and to behold him as Moses did as we talked last week and to behold him as 2 Corinthians 3 says, we behold him face to face being transformed into his image from glory to glory. That is what we are made for at our core. Beholding a glorious, powerful God, experiencing his glory and be being transformed into his glory day by day. That is an awesome, exciting journey. That is, the, that is the pinnacle of what we're made for. It is what we will do for all of eternity. We're made for the living God and to behold his glory. You know, the early church, we reference Acts chapter 2 a lot. It kind of gives a snapshot of the early church and the way they lived, and that's kind of been a, a, just a biblical model for church for us, one of many. But Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47 says that the, um, says the church was in awe. The church was in awe. It says this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, and the breaking of bread and prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And awe came upon every soul. The church was in awe of God. The church was in awe of God. I think there's a lot of things that we get excited about, whether it's sports or whether it's, whether it's you know, you name it. But so often we're, we're lacking the awe of God. What would it look like to have an entire church in awe of God, an awe that came upon every soul? Well, I want to talk this morning as we journey into more of God, of, of, of something I believe is foundational into knowing God more deeply. And that is the awe and majesty of God. It's the awe and majesty of God. It is being a people that revere God in our hearts and his presence. I might even touch on the fear of the Lord. 
the fear of the Lord, you know, I don't believe it's God's desire that we um, be absolutely terrorized, you know, every time we enter his presence, although we all will stand before God and our lives, and we do not know Jesus, he will hold us accountable for our sins, and we've all fallen short. So it's important if you don't know Jesus, that you come to him today, and you experience his grace, because we do have a holy God. But it is also right that there is a sense that we tremble in God's presence. It is right that we revere God for who he is. Proverbs says this, the beginning of, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It is revering God, right? Scripture says that his love casts out all fear. So there's a confidence through Jesus. We come, not, not fear in that way, but we come still with a reverence of God's presence and who he is. Now, I want to look at a scripture in Exodus chapter 3 uh, that kind of gives us a picture of that. It's, it's Moses' calling in the burning bush. You might be familiar with that story. And uh, I'm, I'm not going to talk as much on the specific call of Moses as I am going to talk about how God revealed himself in Moses' response. But I, I really, I want us to grasp this today it's been kind of a life message for me that, is, that has really changed my life. Uh, I really believe God wants to catapult us to different places of worship and experiencing him if, if we will grasp all of who God is. So just a little context, you know, Moses was born an Israelite, and he was uh, given up so that he would not be killed, and, and um, the Egyptian royalty basically took him into their home and raised him. So, so Moses, though he was an Israelite, was raised an Egyptian. But if you're familiar with that story, the, the Israelites were basically forced into slave labor, and Moses, being an Israelite, became very angry at seeing the Egyptians mistreating Israelites, and out of his anger, he, he, uh, he attacked a guy, and, and he killed someone. He killed an e Egyptian. And so he spent the next many years of his life as a fugitive out in a desert. And there, after years and years and years of living as a fugitive, isn't it funny who God encounters as fugitive? God visits him. And we're going to start there in Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, as he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place on what you're standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. <clears throat> Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry and be, uh, because of the taskmasters. I know their suffering, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of, the, out of the land to a good and broad land, a place flowing with milk and honey to the place of Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. 
It's talking about the promised land. And you'll see later in scripture, Joshua takes it. So this is the beginning of the exodus out of Egypt. God initiated with Moses. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you, will, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. <clears throat> he said, but I will be with you, and this, this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When he have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God <clears throat> on this mountain. I love that God's sign gave him. The sign will be after the fact. He's <laughs> like, this is a sign. After the deliverance happened, then you'll know when the people are, uh, when you're on the mountain worshiping God. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, they'll ask me, what's his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to this people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. For this is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. You know, this, uh, was, this encounter with God was the beginning of the exodus of the people of Israel. This was obviously a turning point in Moses' life. This is foundational to the entire narrative of the Bible, and it's obviously foundational to, uh, to um, Moses' life. And how did God come? and reveal himself to Moses as he begins this awesome and mighty thing. He said, I am. He revealed himself as I am who I am. I am who I am. You know, different commentators take different approaches that there's not one way to fully describe it because he just is. We have a God who is who he is. He is the uncreated one. I didn't make God. You didn't make the earth. We don't know everything, but we have a God who is. As I said before, uh, the begin scripture says the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Absolutely, God loves us. Absolutely, he'll never leave or forsake us. Absolutely, uh, he is kind and patient. And we're going to talk about all the goodness and the love of God as we see it in scripture next week. But the foundational understanding of the fact that he is God and we are not, and that invites us to trust him and to worship him and to know him and to pursue him. Because we are not, and he is, although we're his children, although he loves us, and because we're not, and he is, that, that means everything in us, our imperfection cries out for his holiness. It cries out to know him. It cries out to walk with him. It cries out to worship him because he is everything we were made for, and we're made in his image. He exists before time. I am. He, he didn't say, I am becoming or... I, I was, or he just is. He exists before time. The first verse, verse of the Bible says, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. That is the first, he was there 
at the beginning. He made the earth. Now, if you, if you were to ask me, you know, hey, you know, how did you get how you are? You know, I could say, well, my name is, is Mark Speeder, and I could kind of go back to my lineage, and this is why I am the way I am, and this is how, who I descended from, and I could, you know, show you my ancestry. If you're to ask God, how did you get how you are, his response is, I am who I am. He is God. He is a limited source of energy and wisdom. He doesn't have peaks and lows. He doesn't have highs and lows. He doesn't have bad days or good days. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, Scripture says. He is unchanging. He is an unlimited source of wisdom and energy. He is God. Things He, didn't, uh, he, he shaped the heavens and the earth. He formed them. He says, I am. And then you see Jesus coming and declaring as Jesus created the earth with God. He was at the beginning. You see him coming. What does he reveal himself? He says, I, I am he. In John chapter 18, Judas approaches Jesus with hundreds of guards. And they said, are you Jesus of Nazareth? And he says, I am he. And hundreds of guards fall backwards under the power of God. That is who our God is. And you see that uh, you see that word Lord as well. And so that I am who I am is kind of interchangeable here with the name Lord. Now, whenever you see Lord in all capitals, it's referring to the proper name of God, Yahweh. Now, that name is a proper name of God, and you see God's intentionality in, in, in displaying his name, and it's used throughout all the Old Testament. In fact, um, three times more, it's used three times more in the Old Testament than just the name God. And that name is so proper and holy and describes a holy God that the, the reverent Jews, the reverent people of God of the day would not even verbalize the full name because they understood that God is powerful, and God is holy, and God is righteous. God is our creator. Psalm, 9, not Psalm 19, 1 to 14 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, there are, there are, nor there are words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Just look around us when you walk outside church and you'll see the glory of God displayed. Psalm 147, verse 4 and 5 says this, He determines the number of stars. He gives them all their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Now, since he determines the number of stars and he gives them their names. Now, there's approximately 300 million stars in the Milky Way galaxy alone. And it's estimated there's 100 billion galaxies. So experts estimate the number of stars being around 70 billion trillion. Now, I didn't mix up my words and just put billion and trillion in there. Actually, no, there's, there's actually... A billion of trillion. And there's actually 70 billions of trillions of stars, and God gave them all their names. Now, it would take 
all of us an eternity, I think, to try and come up with names. And God counted them. He made them. And he named them. He has understanding without measure. Scripture says his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. You know, at times I think we start to think we get to fully know all of who God is. You know? And God does want us to study deeply and get revelation, but we create these little systems of of understanding who God is. And every single theological system that man has ever created ultimately has little loopholes and things in it because he's God. So let's seek him. Let's get wisdom in scripture. Let's get understanding. But ultimately, he is God. He is God. Isaiah 40 says the nations are a drop in the bucket. Isaiah 6, when he encounters God, and when Isaiah encounters God, it says angelic beings are saying, holy, holy, holy. And in Revelation, you see a similar scene. Revelation 4 says this, in the four, speaking of heaven, and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And, and the fact that there's creatures that look like this means that God is bigger. I mean, I wouldn't have come up with creatures that look like this, but he's God. <laughs> this is it's amazing. I mean, can you, can you imagine this? And day and night, they ne- this is heaven. They never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. They never cease to say it. Can you imagine? I mean, that's heaven. They never cease. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That word in the Old Testament, holy, means apartness, set-apartness, separateness, and sacredness. In the New Testament, it means to be revered, means to be worthy of veneration. Now, God is loving, and God is good, and God is faithful, but they don't use that word for all of eternity because I think when we see him face-to-face, all we'll be able to say is there is no one like you. You are separate from any created being. There is no one like you. You created the heavens and earth. We'll say it again, you know, holy. There's no one like you. 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 You're amazing. That is who our God is. He is sacred. He is set apart. and He is to be revered by the people of God. And guys, I believe when we understand that, it invites us in to an incredible journey of pursuing a God who is other than us, who is holy. It invites us in this incredible journey of being face to face with this God. Guys, this God came to earth. Jesus, I mean, there, there's, there's no one, there's, this is why the gospel of Jesus Christ is offensive to the Jewish people. Because this is a God they understood. And so when, when, when they said, and he claimed to be God, that's offensive because God is holy. And he didn't change when he came to the earth. He came so that you and I as imperfect creatures could be, could know him face-to-face, speaking with him. What an awesome invitation for us. Now, what is Moses' response? And really, what is God's invitation for Moses' response to be? Verse 5 and 6 says this. Then he said, God, do not 
come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on what you're standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And so God invites Moses' response as wholehearted, passionate worship. God reveals himself as holy and says, now, because I'm holy, I want you to respond with your whole heart and knowledge that I, I am other than. Now, I believe that this revelation of God's majesty changed the trajectory of Moses' life forever. And I'm going to talk about that here in a little bit. But I believe it set his foundation for being a worshiper of God. If you notice throughout Scripture, Moses is a wholehearted worshiper of God. And I believe if God wanted to create a wholehearted worshiper, he had to come and lay a foundation that he is holy. He had to come and lay a foundation that he is holy, that he is God, and Moses wasn't, and it created a worshiper out of Moses. And what did he invite Moses to do? He said, take off your shoes because this place is holy. Now, a lot of us don't think of worship being like that. How many of us would come to church and we're like, man, what a privilege. We get to worship today. This is a holy place. This is sacred. And by the grace of God, we can because we're holy by the blood of Jesus. Amen? Scripture says, approach the throne of grace with confidence. So we ought to come into this holy God's presence with confidence by faith. But how many of us worship like this? What we do so often as as believers, I'm guilty of this myself, we're kind of like we come into God's house and we're his guests and we kind of sit there like, check out God's people. If I feel something, I'll worship, you know. I'm just going to kind of like sing a couple songs to God if I feel like it. Otherwise, I'm having a bad day. I'm just going to kind of sit. And it's kind of like, it's kind of like, you know, we, we come to his house, and he opens a door, and we're kind of like, oh, it's you again, you know. You, it's you again, God, you know. I, I know you. I got you figured out. You know, arms crossed. And... Y'all, I think we're bored with God so often as a church. And I just talking, I mean, y'all are worshipers. Y'all really do live this out sometimes. But I think some of us, and so often across the, the big C church, we're, we're bored We've become bored with God. We've become bored with the presence of God. I believe we have a tendency to be enamored with the world and enamored with ourselves and our accomplishments because we're not enamored with who God is. What happens, we treat the presence of God as a light thing. We treat it as a right we have. I'll worship how I want. And I like this style of worship, and I don't like this style of worship. Moses didn't have a choice. God's holy, worship with your whole being. In fact, there's seven Hebrew words for praise and worship in Scripture. And when I read the Psalms, you know, so often we're like, sing a joyful noise. We got our cup of coffee, and we're like, yes, a joyful noise to the Lord. But if we saw who God is, we might be saying, God, you're awesome. God, you're worthy. You're amazing. You saved me. I ought to be going to the pit of hell, but I'm not because you saved me. You redeemed me. You made me a child of God. This is amazing. Come on. Right? 
when David danced before the Lord with all his might, right, that word is to act foolishly or clamorously. He had a revelation. He was despised, right, because they didn't have the revelation. You'll judge what you don't understand, and not that all any of us have the full revelation. I, I don't understand a lot of things. And sometimes just sitting still in his presence is a very response, right? Now, there's all kinds of biblical ways to worship, but we've treated the presence of God as a light thing so often, as a right that we have, and we treat God how we feel like that day rather than treating him like God. And I believe we treat him lightly because we forget who he is. We forget the privilege we have as the children of God. Hebrews chapter 12 says this. I shared it earlier in the worship time. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. And awe for our God is a consuming fire. Maybe if you're not feeling on fire, you've forgotten that our God is a consuming fire. Maybe we've lost the awe. Maybe we've lost the privilege of worshiping a holy and awesome God. Maybe some of us, you know, scripture in the Old Testament, in the temple, they had to have fire burning on the altar at, our, at all times. They, they, some of us have lost our fire because we've forgotten who God is. But God promises incredible things to those that worship him with, his whole, with our whole hearts. I believe there's an invitation for us to know him more as wholehearted worshipers of him. Who, who is God looking for as worshipers? Isaiah 66 says this, but this is the one with whom I will look. Another version says, will look with favor. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Do we tremble at the word of God? These are the very words of the living God. We tremble when God speaks to our hearts at his word. What an honor. A couple more scriptures. I want to look at Psalm 25, 14. It says this, the friendship of the Lord is for, another translation said, the friendship of the Lord is reserved for those who fear him. And he makes known to them his covenant. The friendship of the Lord is reserved for those who fear him. Another translation say, the secret of the Lord is for those who fear him. Now listen, would you want to be friends with someone that every time they came into your presence, they're looking at everything but you? Would you want to be friends with someone who was ungrateful for everything they did, you did for them? Would you want to be friends with someone who is a really high position you're, uh, would you want to be friends with someone if you're in a really high position, and when you ask them to do things that are kind of really small in light of what you've done for them, they just blow it off again and again and again and again. We all can know God. We all have unlimited access to God, but I believe that friendship with God is reserved for those that revere his presence. Friendship is reserved for those Friendship with God, a deep, intimate, is, is, is reserved for those that tremble 
at his word and take it seriously. Not for those that are perfect. Not for those that have it all together. We wouldn't need Jesus. But for those that take God's presence seriously, although imperfect at times, to take it, take it seriously. You know, we referred last week to Jesus saying, I called you servants, but now I call you my friends. But the verse we overlook is the verse before that. And it says, you are my friends if you do what I command. Now, that didn't say, I'll love you only if you do what I command. God loves us all. We all have access through Jesus to God. But there is a friendship, an intimate presence, a knowing of his presence, even a revealing of his secrets. And I don't tell secrets to everybody, but I will tell them to those that will steward them and those that really lean in. But if I'm, if I'm going to listen in, what do I do? I bow my head, right? Yeah, okay, I'm going to lean in. I'm going to make myself vulnerable. I'm going to bow in because I want to listen. God wants to tell secrets. God wants to reveal things. God wants friendship for those that revere his presence, those that revere who he is, that treat the opportunity to come and worship him like a gift. God is looking for hearts that are fully his. Um, John Bevere in his book called Fear of the Lord uh, kind of made this point. You know, God really does reveal himself to those that press in the most. Reveals itself the most to those who press in the most. Um, so Jesus ministered to thousands. But then 1 Corinthians 15, 6 says he appeared to about 500 people. But then it was only 120 who waited and obeyed his word, who were in the upper room that experienced the full blessing and encountering of him at Pentecost. You know, there's, there's a principle that we see throughout Scripture that, man, in the new covenant, God's presence is accessible. But God will give more of himself to those that want it. I've found in my life, the more awe of God I have, the more I want to pursue him. The more I want to step, God, if that is who you are, I want to just run into the unknownness of who you are. I want to run into the awesomeness of who you are. I, don't, I won't get it, but I want to go into the glory cloud of your presence. That is awesome. We're made to be in awe. We're made, oh, that is, you know, we look at trucks and we look at, that was awesome, you know. We're made to come into his presence and say, this is awesome. God is awesome. There is no one like him. This is amazing. The more I'm in awe of him, the more I run to him, and the more I trust him. And the more I run to him, the more I experience him, and the more I know him. I remember being in Uganda years ago, you know, I learned a lot of this principle by, through the church around the world. I've watched churches who had less knowledge than some of us, and that's, that's not wrong, but all they had, they didn't have the medical opportunities, they didn't have, and those are all great too, but, but they had to just trust God. They didn't have much, and they, they had more time, and they, I remember being in Uganda, and I'll never forget this guy, Amos. I'm staying in this house with them, and he's a church planner guy, and we're planting churches together. I get up in the middle of the night and go to the bathroom. And he is, just is like two in the morning, and he is just worshiping in his room, just declaring God's presence, declaring his goodness, praying for people, praying, just declaring who God is, praying. I just remember, and I was literally in tears remembering this story. 
I want to pray like that. I want to know God like that. This guy learned to walk in a way that God was, God was all he had. God is what he relied on. He, 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 he leaned into all who God was. I learned the fear of the Lord from people off in the church around the world. And as I watched what God was doing around the world, I realized that the God we see from Genesis to Revelation is alive and well. He is moving powerfully around the world, and I would hear stories of what God was doing. I said, God, thank you that you're always with me, and I have you, and I want more of you. Just pressing in, drawing near to him, and that revelation that he is awesome invited me to more of him. And lastly, not only does this revelation of God's awe invite us into more of him, but I believe when we have more revelation, we experience more transformation. More revelation of God's awe. We experience his transformation. When God becomes great in our own lives, when God becomes great in our own hearts, we start to reflect God more. You know, when I, when I look at this story, I was studying Moses' life, just really studying it over the years. Moses was a stand-apart guy in Scripture. There's a lot of guys that became great and then fell and blew up their whole lives. There's a lot of guys that kind of came and went, but Moses had this thing of just the presence of God. He had this kind of like reverence for God. He lived with excellence, and he passed generational legacy down. He passed a generational blessing down, and he transferred well. And when you hear his instructions to Joshua, they were detailed. They were like, I want you to love God. I want you to lead the people. And I'm obviously paraphrasing. But he he was detailed and all that because he understood that this was important because he knew God. I believe it was this revelation that set Moses up for the rest of his life. And I believe it is this revelation that if we will grasp more of, will transform our lives. Here's just a few ways. Number one, um, we will have a lot more joy in our worship. Because we will remember every time we come, we don't, we don't, it's not our works that get us to his presence. It's not what we did, it's what he did. We get to worship a God unlike anyone else. As I said last week, people around the world would kill. They would give everything they have to be able to come to God freely and be unhindered. There's nothing like what we have in Jesus. I also believe it sets us, it, when we know and revere God's presence, we obey wholeheartedly. We obey his word wholeheartedly. Like I said before, Isaiah 66 says, God looks for those that tremble at his word. Then we know that God is awesome and God is powerful and he's talking to us. It puts an urgency in our heart that is freeing. It actually sets us free to know and this God is powerful and he is good and he has my best in mind. Therefore, I want to pray, I want to obey quickly and wholeheartedly and all the way. Well, we know the awe of God, we get set free of the fear of man. How many know that you worship what you fear? What you are afraid of so often will become the point that dictates how we make our decisions. Now, I, you know, have my own fears that I come to every once in a while, but I've got to take them back to God and let God be bigger than my fears so I can be clear-headed again. 
The fear of man, as one author put it, is caring more of what someone else thinks than what God thinks. And I love what she said. The next sentence is, that's bondage. Caring more of what someone else thinks about how you live your life and what you do, that's bondage. It's called the fear of man. When God becomes great in our hearts, we realize that the opinion of people is so silly. It is ridiculous. In my life, I've had to re-up this recently. Because that is something that I, I can be worried. What do people think? And man, it's been great. It's been great to get free of the fear of man. <laughs> I've been telling more people about Jesus. People have been experiencing God. I've been more clear-headed because I'm not these little fears running around in my head. No, I'm, I'm more clear. I'm more free. And you know what? I can actually love people better than ever because I don't have to worry about what they think. I can just love them like God wants me to. And so often we're clutter-headed because we're afraid of everyone's opinions rather than God. Come on. Another thing, we'll become more restful. We have a tendency as human beings, talking about back to the margins, we have a tendency to make little things really big and really big things little. When God becomes great in our lives, we get perspective about things, and you will have rest. When you realize that the God who the nations are the drop in a bucket to, who made the heavens and the earth, has your life in his hands and is in control of your destiny, you'll find a little more rest. And this is something I have to press into again. There's a lot happening. The kids are running around. Our lives are crazy. And I have to come into the sovereignty of God every morning because I'm a frail person and I tend to, uh, you know, without it. We will be at rest. And lastly, we will find freedom from sin when we fear the Lord. Proverbs 8, 13 says, the fear of God is hatred of, of sin, of hatred of evil. The fear of God is hatred of evil. What does it do? It gives us a right perspective and right attitude. It aligns. When we care about what God thinks, we realize that God hates evil because it's destroying lives. And we'll get perspective on and we'll care more what he thinks. You know what comes? Scripture says all kinds of things from the, from the blessings, from the fear of the Lord. Here's just a few. The fear of the Lord leads to revelation. It leads to fruitfulness. This is all in Scripture. Revelation, fruitfulness, prolonged life, angelic protection and deliverance, revelation of God's steadfast love, provision, blessings upon your children, and blessings from God on your life. There's a whole lot more I could go into. There's pages of promises for those that fear the Lord. Friendship with God is reserved for those who fear him. And when we walk closely with God, we'll not experience more of him, we'll experience more of his favor and blessing. It's what he's invited us into as Christians. Therefore, church, I want us to be a people that steward God's presence with us well. Of course, he's always with us. He's never leaving or forsaking us, but there's something when we steward God's presence, the fact that he is with us, and we take that seriously, he draws near. Now, I want us to envision a church that every time we worship, God is corporately drawing near because we're serious about our worship of him. I believe that is what God is doing in us. I believe God is inviting us as a church into more of him, and I believe a foundational revelation of that is taking his presence serious. I know many of you guys uh, do, and, and, and all of us have blips on the radar screen, including myself, like all the time. You know, I'm like, oh, 
I treated God very lightly in that situation, right? But I believe God is inviting us in to be a people that he draws near to corporately, in tangible ways even. And man, that's what, back to Acts chapter 2, the early church. Why were they in awe of God? Because God was moving deeply and corporately because I believe they took his presence because they were drawing near to him. I believe that's what God wants to do in our midst. And as we go out into our city and into our workplaces, I want to invite us to be people that carry a revelation of a big, good, and powerful God. This world needs a good and powerful God, and I want to invite us to be people that lift up the name and the power of Jesus that all can come and see and hear, and the more you lift it up in your own life, the more it will come out. People say, man, how did you lead so many people to Jesus when you worked at you know, this place? I said, it wasn't so much focused on evangelism. I just was very aware of God's presence, and then God would just tell me things or lead me, uh, or I just had a burden because I was close to his heart. God's inviting us to be a people of his presence who honor his presence. God wants to ignite the fire in our hearts.